0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Vineyard Northwest. My name is Amanda, and I serve here in our house groups. And if it's your first time here, we just wanted to especially welcome you and thank you for coming to join us today. We're really expectant of what God wants to do in our lives today. Actually, as as I was driving here this morning, the song just kept coming to my mind. You don't have to come, but you always do. And that's kind of our expectation this morning, that God is always showing up. He wants to give us more of his love, bless us with his presence, healing. And we're just excited for that this morning. So um, there's a few things that are going on around here that I'd like to bring to your attention. And first is that... In a few weekends, on December 10th, we'll be having infant and child dedications. So you can check in your program for more information about that. But those are going to be awesome. And also, on December 1st, some of the interns here, do you know we have a group of interns that work at the church and really help get a lot of projects moving around here? they're actually putting on a 24-hour worship and prayer night. So those have been awesome. This is maybe the third that they've done. So anyone is invited to come to that, and that's Friday, December 1st. Um, and lastly, next weekend is um, right after Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We won't see you for a little bit. But next weekend, next Sunday, Van will be teaching on how to be thankful in times of stress. So we'd love for you to join us for that if um, you can be here. So now, actually, I'm going to welcome up Van. He is our lead pastor here. And I've just seen a lot of the ways Van does things behind the scenes. And let me just tell you, he thinks so much about this church and about you guys and your families and how we can see more of God's blessing in your lives. So let's just honor him as he comes up here.
1: Oh, thank you for that, Amanda. Thanks. Um, what I wanted to do, I'm going to introduce Chad, our speaker here in just a moment, but uh, you all know we're, we're just coming out of a series called Power Outside the Walls, and ha- having Chad Deadman here has been uh, part of that series. And so one of the things we thought we would do for the month of December, we're going to give you an, an opportunity to step into touching the lives of people outside the walls that I think is just going to be fairly natural in your life. Uh, let me ask this, how many of us know people that maybe have issues from the past that they haven't fully dealt with. Uh, yeah. How many of us know people, how many of us are people? Yeah, yeah. You know, how many of us know people that um, would love to, to to receive some input from the Lord on how to raise their kids? You know, what to do with their kids this Christmas? Uh, you know, how, how to be a better husband or wife, especially, you know, as we focus on this Christmas season. So uh, we have these little cards made up, and you're going to get one of these on your way out. In fact, you're going to get a packet like this in a little clear sleeve. You're gonna, everyone's going to get three of these, and uh, what we encourage you to do is read the messages on the back, making peace with Christmas past, what your marriage needs this Christmas, your children need this Christmas, and on December 24th, what Jesus got for you this Christmas, meaning what his present for you is. And so look at those and pray about friends and family and co-workers that you know that would benefit from one of these messages, and just give them one of these cards and invite them to come, okay? Does that sound hard? No, I don't think it sounds hard. First of all, pray for them. As you're thinking about it, you you come up with who you would like to invite and pray for them, and we promise you on that day there will be a message that will uh, be Holy Spirit empowered that will touch hearts and lives and will give the opportunity for people to actually receive Jesus. So um, we wanted to make sure you knew about that and pick one of these up on your way out. Okay? Sound good? Sound good? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Good. Thanks. Hey, uh, we're so excited to have Chad Deadman here. We had Chad here first time probably in 2013 on a Friday night. And uh, I I saw Chad last spring at a conference in Columbus, and uh, to my amazement, he remembered being here for that Friday night, and uh, and I I just, well, I had wanted to connect with him for some time, and knew that he was the right guy to have to come to conclude this whole series, Power Outside the Walls. And so uh, we've had a really wonderful, powerful, and exciting time, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. We have seen people healed. We saw a man who's, who received a sight and his, his vision problems were healed. We got his testimony on a video last night. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Come on, we can clap louder than that. Yeah, there you go. That's good. And um, at, in our outreach yesterday, there was one, I think it was a, a woman that had her hearing healed. Is that correct? Yep, that happened. That, that I means someone on the street was prayed for and her hearing was healed. So again, <laughs> let's cheer for that. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to introduce Chad. Now I'm just going to say this. Uh, you know, like I hear about guys like Bill Johnson and I think, boy, I wish I knew him or I wish we'd had him here. And someday we're going to be saying, well, yeah, we had Chad Dedman here at our church. And yeah, I know Chad. I, he He talked to me after the service. And so, uh, Chad, come on up. Uh, We're excited to have you here, brother. Thanks so much, man.
2: Thanks, guys. Oh, man, so good to be here with you guys. Uh, Yeah, it was pretty amazing, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. There was, um, I don't know if she's here, but she uh, was dancing like crazy last night and uh, she couldn't walk on Thursday, barely walk on Friday. She was in several accidents. She had a bulging disc in her C3. Uh, Anyways, I guess she's not here. She might be here uh, the next service, but she was dancing like crazy, totally pain-free. Like, she wasn't able to walk on Thursday and had been in pain for years, and uh, she was a dancer, and she was dancing like crazy last night, and I asked her, is there any pain going on? She's like, no, there's no pain whatsoever. So that was really cool. Then we, uh, there was one lady who had pain in her back, and this was Friday night, and her leg grew out, and it grew out too long. So I asked her, do you want to be taller or shorter? And she said she would like to be a little taller, and so her other leg grew out. But what was cool is she checked out her back pain, and it was gone. So she had no more back pain. So that's really cool. I like that. Uh, Saturday morning, uh, there was a guy who grabbed me, um, and he had told Wilson this. He had to work. He was at Miami. He, go, he ministers at Miami University or something like that, and uh, was praying for a guy who was working with a wrist brace, and uh, he got completely healed, took the wrist brace off, started moving it around, started like stretching it out. He's like, I couldn't do this before without pain. Like he was in some good, good enough pain where he had a wrist brace. And, uh, and so he, he said, I don't need the wrist brace anymore. I'm completely healed. Uh, we were, um, we got to pray over a Buddhist lady uh, to experience the love of God for the first time. She started crying. Uh, we started prophesying over her. And, uh, and we began to tell her about Jesus, and she said she had to talk to her husband but, uh, about, about getting saved. And I said, okay, you know, but just remember, you could, you could, you could uh, invite Jesus to come into your life at any moment, any time. You, you don't even need your husband's permission to invite Jesus to come in, but go ahead and talk to your husband. But just know that he's always there, and you can experience his presence. She's like, I've never felt this before. I, I, feel, I feel this like, like someone's hugging me. And, but there's no one hugging me. And uh, so that was really cool. There was just a, it was an amazing, amazing morning and just amazing weekend with you guys. Prayed for three teenagers at Macy's to experience the presence of God for the first time. They started, uh, one of them started laughing uncontrollably, which is, you know, that's a, that's a good sign of God's presence. And, uh, and then uh, I asked, is there somebody here, you have, one of the three, have um, ankle, left ankle problems. And the, one of the boys is like, hey, that's me prayed for him. I had uh, the guy and the girl, the teenagers, pray over his ankles. I didn't know if they were saved or not, um, but, uh, but I said, hey, you guys are going to see the power of God within your own hands. And so uh, they laid hands on him, and I said, all right, check it out. And he starts jumping up and down, and he's like freaking out, like, no way, there's no pain. And they're like all freaking out, and they're like looking at their hands like, no way, did we just see this happen? And, and uh, so anyways, it was a lot of fun. I think there was probably at least over 100 people that got prayed for uh, out in the streets. That's a pretty good day. I mean, our team of five, we prayed for at least about 25, 30 people. So, you know, there was, there was a good chunk that, a good 70 people that went out, and uh, definitely over 100 people got prayed for, which is pretty amazing, right? Over 100 strangers, like, left their houses going to pick up toilet paper or going to go, you know, buy a book or, you know, maybe going to do something to not expect supernatural activity. And they experience the love of God without even, you know, having any expectation of that happening. So that's pretty cool. Anyways, uh, you could... Oh, Jesus. Yes, turn with me. We're going to... Open the Bible and make this a legal meeting. I'm from Redding, California, Bethel Church. Uh, My wife, I met my wife in the school ministry. I met her snowboarding, met her in the singles line. Uh, We've been married 12 years. Uh, Our first date was pretty awesome. We went to, uh, I took her to an Italian restaurant in Redding, which is the Olive Garden, and uh, and I took her to the emergency room after dinner and I said, let's, uh, let's go and pray for people. So we went to the emergency room. There was a guy with uh, second degree burns in the upper half of his body. He was in a lot of pain. And so I said, can I pray for you? And he said, sure. And I put my hand on his chest and he screamed in pain. And I go, oh, probably shouldn't touch him yet. And so I just put my hand a couple inches away and started praying and he started feeling this cool wind. And he started touching his chest and his arms, and all the pain was gone. Like, he couldn't, he, he was able to do this. And I was like, Are you sure? And I started, like, hitting his chest really good. And he's like, Yeah, that doesn't hurt. And I'm like, Okay, that's awesome. And then uh, we started praying for new skin, because we thought that would be the next thing to pray for. And the doctors come in while we're praying the second time, and they say, Hey, we need to take him in the back. And he's telling the doctors, Hey, God is healing me. God's doing something here. And, and ever since they've been praying the second time, I've been feeling itchy. i am like itchy all over. And the doctor's like, well, you shouldn't be feeling itchy for another like three weeks, a month, because that means you're getting new skin. Wow. So that was really cool. And then this lady in a wheelchair said, will you please pray for me? I have a severe sprained ankle. It was all black and blue and discolored and And we we lay hands on her and we watch the discoloration leave, the swelling leave. She gets up out of a wheelchair. She starts dancing and worshiping Jesus. And her daughter was there. And Julie and I started prophesying over uh, her daughter. And she gets radically saved. So it's a really good first date. (laughs) But I'm going to talk to you about relationships this morning. I'm going to talk to you about relationships. And it has everything to do with uh, going outside the walls and uh, and just being a light and carrying love. And so when we're talking about relationships, we're talking about covenant, when we talk about your covenant with God and you see somebody in your life that is walking with God and then they start blowing up that bridge with the Lord, we're, we're thinking, okay, how can we help them not blow up the bridge, Rather, they're you know, uh, going into drugs, pornography, whatever it may be like, Hey, let's send them prophetic words. Let's send them, you know, to a conference. That's uh let's pray over them. That's we're screaming. Don't blow up the bridge. Right. Right. Okay. Good. You guys are here. I mean, it's, it's like 6:50 AM for me right now. This is, this is a sign and a wonder. And I have no coffee. I've had no coffee this morning. But, uh, um, and then if you, you know, talk about marriage, the covenant of marriage, when you see somebody going through marriage problems and the bridge is blowing up, you know, we're, we're trying to think, okay, can we send them to marriage counseling? Can we send them to like a, a marriage encounter weekend? Or, you know, I'll watch their kids while they go on date night. Like we're trying to figure out ways to communicate, don't blow up this bridge. But why is it in the areas of friendships in the church, we're okay with you blowing up that bridge? You weren't meant to have friends for a season. You weren't meant to do life with people, share your, your heart, your dreams, your passions, laugh together, cry together. And maybe someone talks behind your back. Maybe somebody does something that hurts you. And sometimes the advice we get is, well, maybe you should find another friend. Did, go too, did, I, did I go too quick? <laughs> Again, this is uh, making it legal. John 13, verse 30, we'll go with 34. I give, this is Jesus speaking, I give you a new commandment, "Love one another, just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will know you're my disciples by how you love one another." Now, very generalized statement, very generalized statement, is what would the world say about the church? We're divided. We can't get along. We can't agree on anything. We shoot our wounded. I mean, I know that this will trigger all the evangelists in the room, but what if we, for a moment, said, let's just forget about loving the world? And what if we just focused on loving one another? What if we model the love that's never been seen, that comes from love himself, that doesn't come from loving from emotions or convenience or, you know, anything we've seen in the world. And Jesus actually talks about this love in John fifteen thirteen that the greatest manifestation of love is that you lay down your life for your friends. And we have to remember that that scripture, the focus is friendship. I come from the missions world. Uh, I've been a missionary since I was 20 years old. Uh, I'm not a missionary currently, but my wife and I have done several trips around the world for 18 months. We've done two of those trips where we went 18 months without uh, coming back to America. And we went to a, a nation a month. It was a lot of fun, been over to 40 countries. Uh, I, have a, I have a passion and a heart for the world. But what if, you know, and I remember being at Brownsville, where people would argue who was going to be the first martyr. You know, I, that was in 99. And there is such this thing in the missions world of sacrifice, laying down your life, choosing the brown robe, where I think we kind of got it off a little bit in the missions world of the focus has got to be friendship, not laying down your life. The reason why you lay down your life is because you have so much equity in this relationship. So Jesus modeled this. That he did life. He had fish tacos, slept in caves with his disciples. Like he did life with them. And I believe when he went to the cross, then that nail was getting deeper and deeper. He started thinking about his best friends. He started thinking about Peter, James, and John. And Jesus, we kind of have to remember that he was like a human being. He had human emotions. And could you imagine the human emotion that was going on as he's going up to the cross and he sees his best friend blowing up the bridge? Blowing up all equity in their relationship. He sees this mob of people around his best friend, Peter. And they're saying, hey, didn't we see you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you one of his friends? And he goes, oh, no, you're confusing me with someone else. Me and that guy have never done life together. We have have no connection. Just blowing up the bridge. And Jesus is going to the cross. Hearing the rooster crow what is jesus first act as resurrected jesus sees mary sorry mary can't talk to you i need to go and see my friend peter because when i left this planet he was blowing up the bridge of our relationship and i'm here to come and see it get restored it's one of the greatest stories of restoration and rebuilding a bridge definitely you know that story of, of jesus and peter and Jesus calling him to be the rock of the church and feed my sheep and being commissioned to, to be the rock and all that stuff. That's awesome. But it was first and foremost restoration of friendship. That Jesus fought for his friends. And Peter was like, saw him on, on the shore and he was in the boat and he was, didn't even want to wait for the boat to get there. So he swam there. He's like, Are you kidding me? We get to restore this relationship. You know, some of us maybe have friends, maybe we have relationships that have blown up in our past, but we have a God that restores relationships. And it's so intriguing with the whole place of restoration and uh, where there's been hurt, there's been injustice, there's, you know, been pain. And it's so interesting of when that happens, How you position your heart of, oh, you know, we just, you know, time heals all wounds. And then suddenly you shift over to another season where, oh, we should just bury the hatchet. It's too weird to bring it up. Too much time has passed by. That's why today is the perfect day. I I went to the school of ministry in 2002 Uh, at Bethel and I remember graduating first year and Bill and Chris were talking to us and we were, uh, all of us, that were going into second year. And so they were asking us, what do we want to see in second year? What are our expectations? And some of the students were saying, hey, I want to travel with you, Bill, more. I want to get to know you, Chris. I want to, you know, spend more time with the staff, all this stuff. And the Lord speaks to me and says, Chad, look to your left and right and look to the person behind you. That's tomorrow's Bill and Chris. Start investing now. so those guys were like Chris Overstreet, Joaquin Evans. Chris Overstreet's our evangelism pastor. Joaquin just planted a church in Austin, Texas. And we would just do life together. There was many of us that we just did life together. And there is something about relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with your spouse, relationship with your friends, where it, one of the main ingredients of a thriving relationship is inconvenience. She gets it. <laughs> and it's so interesting that that is such a, a moment that makes or breaks a relationship. Because when you choose that relationship over inconvenience, it begins to build equity, it begins to build value into the relationship. I'm, I'm, is it okay? Are You guys doing all right? <laughs> Just keep keep thinking. It's perfect. I mean, I love being a part of Bethel and and see these guys that have been doing life for decades. You know, where Chris and Bill would sit on a porch and and that was in in the late 70s. And they would just dream about one day having a school ministry of 100 people and just pouring into them together, raising up world changers. And they kind of dreamed a little too small. Now we have like 2,500 school minister students uh, in in the school right now, and they would just do life together. You know, it's, uh, there, there's a book called The Culture of Honor, and Danny Silk, you know, writes about this kind of the reestablishment of apostles and prophets and the whole deal, and and, uh, and so I'll go to churches, and people will tell me, oh, I, I read the book Culture of Honor, and we did a staff retreat, and uh, we all took a vote, and, and we discovered that I'm an apostle, uh, which is really good as a senior leader, and, and my uh, executive pastor is a prophet, so that really works. And, and, uh, but we need to find a five-fold pastor, Chad. Do you know of any Danny Silks, any unemployed Danny Silks wandering the halls of Bethel Church? And I tell him, I say, you should probably check your local butcher shop because that's probably where Danny Silk is. And see, these guys in in Weaverville, you know, Bill Johnson was a pastor of 200 people. Chris Valatin was an auto mechanic. Uh, Danny Silk was a butcher. And will you pour into Danny Silk the butcher before he ever becomes Danny Silk the pastor? There's something about time that I absolutely love that that you can't speed it up. You, you, you can't get it in suddenlies. I love suddenlies. And suddenlies are memorial stones and, and they're, they're, they're notches in your rod of your history and equity with God. But there's something about time. You know, that, that I thought I knew what love was when I was dating my wife. And then I thought I knew what love was in the first year of marriage. And then I thought, I knew what love was in the first 10 years of marriage and now I'm 12 years married and then I get to meet people that are 40 years married and I'm like, man, they have a whole different definition and perspective of what love is because there's something beautiful about time and then there's something beautiful beautiful about relationships and friendships that last decades and last and go into eternity. But there's got to be moments where you put a stake in the ground, moments when you get ridiculously hurt, and you choose to forgive, and you choose to love. I had a good friend of mine, we we did life together for about 12 years, and then he did something that was pretty offensive to Julia and I, to my wife and I. And we had a decision to make. And, you know, we were speaking at a conference. And we're about ready to minister. And Heidi and Roland Baker are with us. And and uh, and we're praying. And, and Julia says, hey, God just told me that we need to give that person money. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not giving that person money. Like, he's gonna, they're going to buy a new iPad or something. And, and if we're going to give money to anyone, let's give it to Heidi and Roland. You know, they're going to feed kids and you know, it, it, it's going to go so much further. It's such a better investment. And the Lord's like, Chad, you have a fence. You need, to, you need to forgive your brother. We need to understand that the horizontal and the vertical are way more connected than we realize. How can you love God and hate your brother? It's incongruent. And so I asked Julia, well, what do you think we, we need to give them? And she came up with a number and I said, well, let's triple it because I need to get rid of this thing. I want to love because it's going to help my vertical relationship that much more. Like I'm doing this in a selfish act. And then the moment I start doing it, then it's that, that the emotions of forgiveness and love start flooding in. And then I begin to just love my brother. You know, I go to prophetic conferences and I'll, you know, uh, call people out. And sometimes I'll I'll call out two guys and be like, hey, there's a David Jonathan anointing. You guys are, you know, called to run together as friends. And, And you'll see both of them with their eyes closed and with their breath go, God, I hope I'm David. I hope I'm David. And it's like, man, Jonathan gets such a bad rap. Like Jonathan is a, is a giant killer. That guy's a world changer. You know, he just was like hanging out with his armor bearer and going, you know what? Everyone's living in fear. I got a good idea. Let's just go kill a bunch of Philistines at the Philistine outpost. Let's go like military strategy, horrible. You know, he's climbing up the hill. They're on their hands and knees. They give up the element of surprise. Hey, here we are. Like, and they just take them all out. I'm just like, man, that's amazing. This is turned to first Samuel. This is, uh, this is where we'll be ending. So First Samuel 18. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan committed himself to David and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him. From that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. So what's going on there? Right, you're, you're watching this amazing connection, this alliance, this heart connection, this friendship and let's just think from J- Jonathan's perspective for a moment, like his identity. He is born into this world the next king of Israel, that he has teachers and mentors and scholars and all these guys training him, giving him the language, setting him up for success to be the greatest king. He's having meals with his dad, who is the king, and his dad is telling him, hey, son, this is how you carry yourself as king. These are the lessons that I've learned as king. I mean, that's his whole identity. He's wearing this robe. Whoever sees wearing this robe is the next king of Israel. Like it's like, it's just a big billboard of saying, hey, I'm the next king of Israel. And he sees David kill Goliath and he realizes that the anointing that he's been trying to cultivate, steward, the call that's on his life, he realizes it's not on him, it's on this guy, David. And he takes off the robe and puts it on David. And there's something about friendships that, that run together, covenant relationships, because when we talk about covenant, it's, a, it's, it's about relationships for life. And it takes at least two parties to say yes to covenant. And you have a covenant with the Lord and a covenant with your spouse. And you have covenant with friends. You have covenant with business people. I mean, back in the Old Testament, they would like business partners would just kill a lamb. And then they would walk through the blood of the lamb together. I mean, it's a serious business, you know, like deal. Like we're in this thing. But it's the same way with friendships. And you see with Jonathan and David that they fought for one another. There was inconvenient moments. But there's something that happens when you begin to find brothers and sisters. You find friends that you run together where you give your lives to one another. And you understand that you're connected to each other's life. That I was asking the Lord, God, give me revelation about marriage. I was engaged to my wife and I had a dream. I had a dream that... That I was walking around heaven, and I saw this angel writing down stuff about my life and it, it was like way in the future and, and it said, "Chad Deadman saw ten thousand people healed in in India, and ten thousand people saved in brazil and and, and my wife was in Brazil and I was in India and I told the angel, no, no, you got your facts wrong. Julia was in Brazil, she gets credit for that and I was in India and the angel starts laughing and goes, no, you don't understand that it, up here in heaven, we see you as one. Her breakthrough is your breakthrough. That's why as a husband, I have to have the spirit of stupid not to set up my wife and empower my wife to step into her destiny because when she steps into her destiny, I get to step into my destiny. But why do we reduce that just to marriage? David and Jonathan, where Jonathan's probably talking to God like, man, this alliance, this connection, this covenant relationship that you're forming is perfect. Because I'm going to set David up for success. Like I've got a wealth of wisdom, a wealth of knowledge that I'm going to impart to David. I've got his back. Like his breakthrough is my breakthrough. But there was inconvenient times. 1 Samuel 20, verse 30. Then Saul became angry with Jonathan and shouted, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. That's some bad mama jokes right there. Don't I know that you are siding with Jesse's son to your own shame and to the disgrace of your mother? What is Saul trying to do? He is trying to trigger Jonathan to have an emotional reaction to make an emotional decision that would be to his default. He's trying to give his son the wrong kind of generational inheritance. He loved his dad. Every day, Jesse's son lives on the earth. You and your kingship are not secure. Now, send for him and bring him to me. He deserves to die. He's telling his son, "This is your opportunity to be for your kingdom to be established forever." Which Saul had this opportunity. He blew it when he was, you know, waiting for Samuel to come at the right time, and the Philistines were surrounding him, and he decided to give some sacrifices and that's when the scene changes and that's when Samuel actually tells him man what a bummer my heart is broken for you because this was your opportunity for your kingdom to be established forever and then the scene changes to David and so Saul is telling his son you don't understand the opportunity you have this is your shot for your kingdom to be established forever kill the son of Jesse and he goes, Jack, you don't understand. I am choosing for my kingdom to be established forever. I, my heart is connected to David's heart. His breakthrough is my breakthrough. There, like when you have brothers, when you have sisters, it breaks competition. It breaks jealousy. It breaks envy that you begin to be connected together and you're cheering one another on. But this was a very inconvenient moment in their relationship. So this is what Jonathan says to his dad. Jonathan answered, verse 32, Why is he to be killed? What has he done? Then Saul threw his spirit, Jonathan, to kill him. That's a sozo moment. So he knew that his father was determined to kill David. So he he put the cards on the table. And his dad did too. And that was really a hard moment. Like we have to think of the emotional side and how much Jonathan loved his dad. And, you know, he was like, but I'm choosing David. David is God's man. And we're connected at the heart. Friendships are a big deal to me. I have friends from junior high still. So friendships that have been lasting, you know, a couple decades. Uh, I just love relationships, love friendships. And I was always the kid that got everyone together into the playground. And we, you know, did something crazy and fun together. And my parents were pastors uh, at a church when I was a teenager. And uh, there was a family that got radically saved. And they lost their dad to cancer. Mom was addicted to pain medication. She ends up getting delivered to that. And uh, she has two kids that are in the house and one kid that's out of the house. And then one kid out of the house is uh, dealing drugs. And so really, you know, kind of a, uh, just a like a, they went through a tough time as a family. And the two sons became like my brothers. Uh, one was Vinny, one was Chris. And we just did life together. We played basketball together. We surfed together. Yes, I'm from California. Uh, I love to surf. And so we would just hang out constantly, 24-7. And they were like my brothers. When I was away on a basketball trip or whatever, they, they would stay at my house. They would sleep in my bed. They would eat my food. Like they were, they were a part of the family. And as they turned 12 years old and 13 years old, they started doing drugs. Their older brother started influencing them and they started doing drugs. And they kept on offering me to do drugs and I'd be like, no, like, you know, smoking marijuana. And I'd be like, no. And uh, I started getting very offended or hurt of all the false responsibility that was put on me as a pastor's kid. And so I started getting angry at God, angry at my parents, My the, the church was called Church 24-7, and I'd have to answer the phone, Church 24-7, it was legit Church 24-7, like... Like, there would be 10 people living in at my house all at once. And there'd be drug addicts and prostitutes and witches. Like, like, we discovered about, you know, like, the witches and stuff. We didn't know much about spiritual warfare or anything like that. And, you know, one morning we woke up uh, early and the witch was doing, like, a seance in our living room. And they had taken my sister's hair, who was, like, six months old or eight months old, and, like, cut some hair off of her. And they were doing this weird seance thing. So, yeah, so, like, that was kind of, like, that was breakfast table conversations. You know, like... Like, and I just, you know, just kind of getting angry that my parents were never, they were always so busy with church. And so I decided to smoke marijuana with Chris and and Vinny. And then I started getting into other drugs. Yes, this is your special speaker. And, uh, but we're just being vulnerable this morning. And, uh, and I started dealing drugs when I was 13. Um, I started uh, dealing a lot of like hardcore drugs when I was 14. And I had many times that I almost died. Uh, one time I, uh, another drug dealer put a gun to my temple and pulled the trigger and the gun jammed. Uh, another time, like there was just a number of different scenarios that happened where I thought I was going to die. And I knew I was doing drugs and I would see Jesus, uh, in various rooms and, and he would be, uh, he, he would be sitting down with like with his legs up and just crying. And I just was like, hey, I'm, I'm like in full-blown rebellion. I'm just like, I'm making my own decisions. No one else is controlling me. I'm making my own decisions. And so uh, I just, you know, I, I just kept on going into this path. And then when I was 14 years old, Jesus walked into my bedroom one night and said, Chad, you're either going to be my best friend or I'm going to hand you over to Satan. He came into my bedroom. Where I did not see it spiritually, I actually saw him in the natural. And he said, Chad, you have a decision to make. You're either going to be my best friend or I'm going to hand you over to Satan. And I knew that this meant that the hedge of protection in my life was going to be lifted. That Jesus was uh, was going to, you know, like this was, a, this, was a, this was a line in the sand. And that if I were to deny Jesus, reject Jesus right now, that Satan would have full right to kill me. That I wasn't going to just like eke my way through life as a drug addict. Like Satan would have full right to kill me. So... So I just look at Jesus, and I just start weeping, and I say, Jesus, I've always known you're the only way, the truth, and the life. I want you to be my best friend. And he comes over to me. He wraps his arms around me, and all that rebellion, all that addiction, just lifts right off, and I became a new creation. Now, yeah, you get excited about that. Now, the deal is, is when you become a new creation, not everyone gets the memo. You know? So my parents were a wreck, like, you know, my son's a drug addict, and the whole deal, and the whole church knows, and, and so this lady, like, you know, that was Saturday night, I had this radical encounter with Jesus, and then Sunday morning, I'm just, like, pumped, ready to go to worship, and, and I'm walking into the sanctuary, and this lady comes to me and says, you make me sick, you're tearing your whole family apart, and you're a drug addict, and she's spitting in my face, and I go, do you? You're, who are you talking about? You're, you're talking about my old man? Like he died 12 hours ago? You know, like, like that's not me anymore. You know, and and, and and but I had I had some rebuilding to do. You know, which was totally fine. And uh, and so later that day, it was just my dad's birthday, and I didn't know that he had received money to get a new pool table. And so he called me up to his room and said, "Hey, where's the money?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And he said, I had uh, 700 bucks in here, and it's gone. And I said, I didn't take it. And my dad's like, well, then who would have? And my best friend Vinny was over on Saturday night. And uh, and so I said, well, maybe Vinny took it. So we're going to go to Vinny's house and talk to him. He's not there. My dad goes, okay, where is he? And, uh, and I say, well, he's uh, probably at our friend's house that we go and party at. And so we pull up. To the house, there's about 20 uh, of my friends and Vinny and Chris are uh, on the uh, front lawn hanging out. And these guys, like we would be doing pretty, you know, just we'd be doing a lot of crazy stuff. So these guys were crazy, crazy people. And my dad goes, I want you to confront Vinny. Now, my dad just didn't have like the Danny Silk tools yet. This is like 1995. And, uh, and so this was a long time ago. So you just got to give, like my dad was fighting for his son's life in the best way he knew how. And so what he's trying to do, I'm about ready to tell you, is he's trying to uh, create, like like he knew if he would punish me and Vinny together that it would bond us together. And so he was trying to separate us. And so he says, I want you to confront Vinny, and if he denies taking the money, I want you to beat him up. (laughs) So... My dad and I walk over to this group of twenty people and and, and dad goes, Alright, this is what's gonna happen, everybody. Vinny took money from me, stole money from me, and my son is gonna beat him up. If any of you have a problem with that, you can fight my son right now. I don't care if it's all of you. But if you're not gonna fight my son, you need to leave right now. Everyone looks at me, everyone looks at my dad, everyone looks at Vinny, everyone looks at each other, and they all walk away, including his brother. And so he's left all alone. And I'm thinking, I just got saved. And like the, the WWJD bracelets were really popular back then. And I'm thinking, what would Jesus do in this situation? I don't think he would beat Vinny up. So I'm like, God, help me. And I, you know, confront Vinny. I'm like, Vinny, why did you take this money? And he goes, I never did. Like, and he looks at my dad he's like, Dad, you've been like a father to me. You know, you know, Chad, you've been like a brother to me. I would never take the money. And me and Vinny stole money from my parents all the time. And, and so, and I... Didn't take the money because I didn't know it was there, to be honest. Like, I, I didn't know my dad had it. I mean, I don't know if I would have taken it or not, but I didn't even know it was an option. So, so my, we're, we're confronting Vinny, and Vinny pretty convincingly says to him, Hey, we, we did not take this, I did not take this money. And it really, uh, Vinny was able to get kind of like out of the situation. But from Vinny's perspective, let's think about what was going on there. He, his whole family, was, his spiritual family was being ripped apart. And so he was pretty hurt. He felt betrayed by his brother, me. And so my next day, the next day, he calls my dad and says, hey, me and your son took the money, which he only took the money, not me. I had no, I had no awareness that the money was there. And so my dad hangs up the phone and starts weeping. And he said, the, the, the shred of, of hope or trust that I had with you is now gone to me. And Vinny knew that this was one of the best ways to get back at me. That that my equity with my father was pretty low at this point. And it really damaged my relationship with my dad for about a year or two when I was in high school. And now my dad and I are great. We're, We're great friends. We wrote a book together. We do life together. I love my dad. But it really damaged the relationship. And it caused a lot of hate and anger to stir up in my heart being a freshman in high school. Where I would actually have dreams about beating Vinny up. And yep, this is your, this is your special speaker. Um, you know, the beginning of my sophomore year, I found him and I beat him up. And, uh, and I was carrying so much anger because of the hurt and the pain I was going through with my dad. And sophomore year, it's New Year's Eve, went to a Christian concert and I was driving back and I saw this car accident. And I was like, man, whoever's in that car accident, They did not make it. And so I am uh, playing basketball the next day. My parents, I get home. My parents call me in the living room and they say, hey, your, your friend James was driving a car last night and he died. He was doing nitrogen speed. Now, you guys don't know James yet. James and I collected comic books in the fifth grade and I got him high for the first time in eighth grade. And so I introduced a lifestyle to James that took his life. And then they tell me that Vinny was in the back seat. There was a girl in the passenger seat. She went through the windshield. They were going 80 miles an hour doing nitrous and speed and hit a uh, telephone pole without stopping. 80 miles an hour. Uh, He, James, hit his uh, chest uh, and punctured his heart, died on impact. Then he had the nitrous tank in his lap, took off most of his face. He had a punctured lung. He, he was in a coma, and his brain was swelling. And they needed him to come out of his coma so that they could treat his punctured lung, uh, his, you know, all the different stuff. But every time they would try to treat him with antibiotics and everything, his brain would swell even more, and they were giving him a less than 10% chance of living. So I hear God the strongest when I go surfing. So I went surfing. And I said, "God, what do you want me to do?" And He says, "You know what you need to do. You need to go and forgive Vinny and ask for forgiveness that you carried hate for your brother." So I tell my parents to take me to the hospital, and I'm thinking, "Well, what is Vinny's family going to think here?" You know, they know that I beat you know Vinny up at the beginning of my sophomore year, just like four months earlier. And they see me and they embrace me and they tell the doctors, "This is his other brother. He needs to say goodbye." And so they, the nurse brings me in there. He's hooked up to all these machines. He's like purple and yellow and orange and all these different colors, fighting all these different infections. And I go, Vinny, Vinny. And he starts freaking out, like like uh, going to like a seizure. Uh, his heart monitor goes spikes, and he's flailing all around. The nurses bring me into the other room, and they say, hey, he, he recognizes your voice. And I'm thinking in my head, yeah, he probably thinks I'm in there to kill him. And so he calms down. They bring me back in, and I, I just, and I had this like, you know, confidence. Like he could hear me. He, he knows my voice. And I just start crying. And I say, Vinny, it breaks my heart to see you like this. And it was in that moment that I realized underneath the anger and the hate was this ridiculous amount of love. And the reason why there was so much hate and anger is because how much I loved him. And I begin to get in touch with that place and I begin to just weep for my brother who I was like on death's doorstep. And I said, Vinny, I'm so sorry that I carried hate towards you. I'm so sorry that I beat you up. I'm so sorry I had dreams about killing you. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? You're my brother. You're my best friend. I love you. And I forgive you for falsely accusing me of taking money from my father. I I forgive you for lying to my dad. I, I forgive you for throwing me under the bus. I love you. You're my brother. And Vinny, it's not too late. Jesus is right there. You just run to him. You wrap your arms around him and you just call him and let him be your best friend. And so tears are coming down his face as he's in a coma. And I get home, a couple hours later, we get a phone call, and it's Vinny on the phone. And he said, Chad, I heard you. And when you said Jesus is right there, it's not too late. I saw him in the distance, and I felt like I ran for miles. And the moment I embraced him, I put my arms around him. And the moment my head touched his chest, I came out of the coma. So, as we end, I just want you just to put your hand in your heart. I know I went over a little bit, but it's going to be okay. If you have kids, go get them very soon. But Lord, I just pray that we would see the God of restoration, especially this holiday season, that we would be people, that we would be powerful people that communicate that this bridge is under construction, that we begin to think creatively of of giving God opportunities to crash into our lives and restore relationships. And I pray, Lord, for this church that we would have Jonathan and David relationships. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that models love to the world, that we would begin to carry a love that's never been seen before by the world, that we would lay down our life for our friends, and Lord, that the focus would be friendship. The focus would be uh, equity in our relational accounts. And so Lord, I pray for strong relationships in this place. I pray for Jonathan David relationships that are connected at the heart. Wreck us really good. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for your presence. We just thank you for your presence. No, I just feel like there's hope in the room, like there's a spirit of hope. He's breaking off disappointment. You know, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire realized is the tree of life. And I feel like the Lord is releasing hope into relationships, and He's just healing broken hearts, he's healing past wounds from relationships and he's bringing hope and I just want to share this quick testimony of a 12 year old that I had the privilege of pastoring and being a junior high pastor I got to see so many amazing things that I talked on Friday night about one of our kids walking on water and we there's I remember once watching four of my kids we we're doing a ministry trip in in, uh, in riverside california and i watched them pray for this guy in a wheelchair for 30 minutes and then the next thing i know they're all going crazy and the guy in the wheelchair is dancing with them and it's amazing but we have this one 12 year old who was a leader and he began to get into fights he began to just kind of acting out so i sat him down i'm like hey buddy what's going on what's happening he goes well my mom and dad divorced nine months ago and I not only separated from my mom where I'm living with my dad I'm also separated from my brother and my sister and I said buddy you're a world changer and your world right now is your family and why why don't you come up with powerful ways to see God show up in your family and so I said what's what's going on with you and your brother what's the Biggest thing you guys fight about. And he said, the Xbox. And I said, okay, come up with a plan. And so the next weekend, uh, he comes uh, to me at church and goes, you wouldn't believe the Saturday I had with my brother. It was the best bonding experience ever. When he came over to my house, I had his favorite game in the Xbox, his favorite chair ready, his favorite drink and and, and chips. And when my brother walked to the door and saw this, he thought, if I sit in the chair, I'm going to get like slimed or shocked or electrocuted. And, uh, And they end up having this amazing weekend together and then a couple weeks later you know he's telling me about how him and his sister are bonding and then a couple months later uh his mom comes to me and says uh is it are you guys getting ready to go on like a retreat or go to disneyland or does he need money for something and i said no but why do you ask that and she says well he wrote me a card he he made me a card he's never done this before and it's not mother's day it's not like my birthday and he wrote down 20 reasons why he loves me. And then his dad, who wasn't even saved, would come and pick him up from youth group from time to time. And this is like talking six months in the making. And so his dad picks, picks him up and he says, hey, can I talk to you for a second in your office? And so I sit down with his dad and he goes, I had one of the worst days at work and I came home and... My son was there at the table, the living room table, and said, Dad, I need you to come and sit down. And my son began to tell me about dreams and passions and things that I've never told anyone. That uh, I didn't even know how he knew these things. And I just broke down and started crying. And my son started comforting me. And he said, what is that? What did he do to me? And I was thinking, well, that's like the prophetic. And you know, he's probably not going to understand any of that. So I just say, that's your son saying that he wants a deeper relationship with you. So one day I'd meet with him on Wednesday afternoons. And so one day he comes into my office on Wednesday afternoon and he just starts crying. And I'm like, buddy, what's going on? He goes, my dad went on a date last night. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, yeah, new mom, new dad. Let's go through this. We'll get through this together. And he goes, no, you don't understand. My dad went on a date with my mom last night. And we we began to just worship. We we'll worship, worship the God of restoration, and we watch his parents fall back in love and get remarried. And that was ten years ago, and they were just all as a family at our conference we did in Southern California last April. And it's just beautiful, and I just want to just release the God of restoration and also the resurrection power that he resurrects relationships and that you're a world changer that you're not a victim you're not powerless in any relationship that you're a world changer and that you're a powerful person but I just want to release hope and Rainer I just want to invite you to come on up because he was sensing something similar to this but I want to release hope for relationships and some of you, you, you feel stuck. Some of you feel like, you know, you're, you're, you, you try to go after relationships. You try to go after friendships. And you get stabbed in the back or you get hurt. And we're going to break off that disappointment right now. But before we do that, I'm going to have Rainer just release something as well.
3: So I want you to just right where you are. Ask Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Is there a relationship that you want to restore in my life? And when we were singing the song and it talked about shame was a ransom you paid for us and the drums hit, Jesus was like, there's something there. I want to release you from the shame that you may have felt from either not handling a relationship well or just having a bridge blown up for any reason. And then I felt like there's some fear of maybe entering back into that, of being vulnerable in that relationship to go back after restoration, to allow restoration to happen. So just where you are, if, if Holy Spirit brought someone or, or, or something to your mind, I just want you to pray this really quick with me and just say this out loud to yourself. Just say, Jesus, I choose to forgive that person. Some of you may need to say, Jesus, I choose to forgive myself for any part that I played in allowing this bridge to be blown up and allowing this this relationship to go through that. And Jesus, I release myself from the shame of that relationship not going the way I intended it to go. I release that person to you. I release any judgment of that person to you. And I hand you that shame. Would you give me something in return to replace it? And Jesus... Surrender any fear that I may hold towards that relationship, towards reentering that relationship, and I release that fear to you. say this, say fear and shame. You're through. I don't need you anymore. Say Jesus, show me how you see that person. Show me how you see that relationship.
2: So, Lord, I just, as we end, I pray, Lord, for creative ways to see restoration crash in. Maybe some of us need to write a letter to someone. Maybe some of us need to send flowers to someone. Maybe we need to show up at someone's doorstep. Maybe we need to go out to lunch with someone, phone call, text message. I just pray for creative ways. There's hundreds of other ways to communicate that this bridge is open for construction. So Lord, I pray for creative ways and I pray for boldness and faith and hope to come crashing in. That you would begin to heal hearts and that we would have the ability to cultivate strong friendships in this room. You know, it's a proverb that a poor man separates himself from his friends, but a wealthy man has many, many friends. And that wealth has many manifestations, and money is just one of them. And for me, I want to be one of the wealthiest men in the areas of friendships, in the areas of relationships. And so, Lord, I just pray for that kind of wealth on this church, on this tribe, in this region, that it would be a wealth of relationships. It would be a wealth of friendships, David and Jonathan's, And that you would show us what it looks like practically. Laying down our life for our friends. So wreck us really good. Amen. I know it's time to get your kids. And service will um, be officially over. But I'm going to invite my team to come on up. And if you do want prayer for healing. Or if you want some prophetic encouragement. Just come on up here. and, uh, And we have the team all the way here from Bethel. Bethel students come on up here and uh, if you need prayer for healing at all, come on up here. Bless you guys. Love you guys. See you soon.